Welcome. Welcome to the Medal of Honor podcast, veteran stories of strength, courage, and perseverance. I am Tiffany Marchink, your host. Today I spoke with Chelsea Porterfield, who served in the Army as a military police, an instructor for the captain's career course, a drill sergeant, and a sentinel at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. She was the 38th Sergeant of the Guard and the first female to hold that position. But today's episode is not about those different positions that she held, but how different traumatic events that happened throughout her career snowballed. And, well, you'll have to hear it from her. Let's tune in now. There are a lot of things out there for us to take advantage of when it comes to mental health issues. For me, it seems like the VA, the military, many mental health providers are pretty quick to prescribe medications as if it were the only way to deal with those mental health issues that we have. And quite frankly, for me, I feel like I am on way too many mental health medications. So I want to start weaning myself off of them. And there are things that can replace the medications. Like, um, what's an example? Having a service dog, being more physically active, box breathing, yoga, meditation. There's a lot of things out there that can help us start to eliminate those medications that we're taking. For you, I'm curious as to what some of your biggest struggles to overcome were as it relates to mental health issues and medication. For you, how would you say that you knew what would work for you as as it relates to mental health issues? What was that process like for you? That Sleep was a hard one for me for a long time. I got prescribed while the military doctors, VA, whatever. After my first deployment, I got prescribed a few medications. One of them being a sleeping, a sleeping aid. Um, and I went through like three or four different types. And at the time, now I know I have addicted an addictive personality, but at the time I didn't. So if you fight, you know, if you fight the stay awake off sleeping medication you get kind of like that high feeling yeah well if you have an addictive personality you're just gonna keep feeding that feeling because it feels good it's gonna also kill whatever is keeping you awake at night but now you're also feeding that addictive personality and if you're not aware of it you're just gonna keep doing it so that's what I did um for a long time all of these medications that I fully believed you know one, there was some unprocessed trauma that I was just not going to deal with. And I didn't want to deal with because I thought going to group or going to a group therapy session is uh, was dumb. And I did not want to have anything to do with it. 
and that was my own bias, right? I was like, I'm not going to go to, I'm not going to go talk about, you know, my deployment, or I'm not going to go talk about this guy, or I'm not going to talk about that. They're not going to fucking understand. I just need to suck it up. So that's whenever later on down the road, after the last couple of deployments, I kept on getting prescribed medication. Um, this time for a different other reasons. You know, I'm 25, 26 at this point, and now I have like a whole regimen of medication to take. Earlier, you said something about having an addictive personality. What what does that mean, and what is that like? You know, early on, making sure that I backwards planned, you know, from not only wake up, but just like whenever I was required to be on duty. But the that, that addiction piece, the hurry up, the let's get the next, you know, that, that piece, feeling something other than what you're feeling then, right? So whatever that feeling was, um, it's a huge blur of my earlier years, but whatever that feeling was that I was trying to mask or hide, you know, probably a lot of resentment, maybe some guilt, um, but I wanted to either be asleep, like knocked out asleep, or I wanted to be in that state right before you get knocked out, right? I didn't want to be in any other state of mind, and if I was in any other state of mind, like at work or, or you know, performing my duties, then it was 100% wholehearted focus to the T on my duties with the forethought that I get to go home and go to sleep, right? I can just sleep my days away. That was my number one priority was just to sit, hopefully go to sleep and not wake up the next day. Okay, so you just opened like two can of worms, right? So one, you made me think about when I was a recruiter. So when I was recruiting, um, it was freezing in Michigan, and like I didn't—I don't think I ever really thought fully about it until you said that. That's how I felt with just the alcohol. I didn't. I, I've never really been a big drinker in Michigan. Like, that's all I was. And that's what you just said is exactly how I felt. Like, I would go to the store and I would just buy all this stuff. And I'm going to try to mix something new tonight. And, and, and I even took a picture of, of when I, I didn't realize. I didn't even realize I was getting I had a problem but oh, of drinking. But. That's all I wanted to do. And it got so bad that when I woke up in the morning to go recruit, all I could think about was coming home to drink what was next. And that's all that was on my mind. And um, to even where I would have like a 20-ounce bottle of Coke, and I would drink some of it in the morning and then put something in it. And then there would be more and more of something in it to where one of the other recruiters like, you let's like what's up? I'm like, nothing. How you doing? Pretty good. I'm feeling pretty good. No. And she and he was like, Look, I don't know what's going on, but 
Something's got to change. But so anyway, when you were when you were talking about that, I was like, that's exactly where I was in Michigan. But it was, and I was on mental health meds too. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't even care. I really didn't even care about what the actions or reactions were with each other. I was just like, screw it. I like the way I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was just like what you said too. It's like this numb feeling and then going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. But the other piece that you said, so so I shared with you I shared with you recently that, you know, I, I self admitted to the psych ward. So where I was, I didn't want like for me, I didn't want to kill myself. But those mental health meds were looking very attractive through alcohol or no alcohol, I would have them sitting out by my bed and just thought, what if I'm supposed to take two of these, but I take like six? Or I'm supposed to take however much of this, but I take double it or whatever, and then I take them all. And I don't, I fall asleep, and I don't wake up until my shit together. And then I can wake up. Like, and when I was, when I was saying that to myself, that's when I realized, okay, I'm saying stuff that does not make sense. Like yeah. that just that's just not how it works. You don't fall asleep and yeah. you know, wake up when your stuff's together. But that's yeah. what I was telling myself. Yeah. And so then that's when I was like, okay, I need some help. Yeah. 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 So that's whenever you can when you can self-identify your brain patterns and shifts from you know depression to major depression to severe depression. Just by your own thought patterns. Because I firmly believe, for one, once suicide is entered into your personal narrative, your being, when you get to that point and you're the life where you are either going to choose or, you know, there's a choice to make. Um, and that choice is, is left or right. If you're at that point, at that point, you know, you've already gone through the various stages of depression and now you're at the bottom. Now, now you're in robot mode and you're like, I don't, you, I can't, I don't understand my thinking pattern. But once you come back from that, it's always going to be a part, like a part of your psyche. It's a part of your narrative. Sometimes, um, you know, you have seasonal depression, you have, you know, and hormonal imbalances. You have, you have a lot of those, you have, Anxiety, for one, can be a, a huge contributor to depression, too. But if you can understand your own thought patterns and know when they are wrong or when it's out of the ordinary, and the fact that you can identify that and be like, no, now I don't trust myself. I'm going to go see help. That, that's a huge step. That, that essentially was like, yeah. So, like, that was my example of that. But what about, so what about the person, because I didn't realize I was doing that when I was doing that. It wasn't until I was in the psych ward that I was like, oh shit. Or so like, I actually identified something in myself and didn't know that that's what I was doing. Um, but what about, so what about the person who is like, who is a secret, like, is a closet mental health basket case, but they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to say anything, and so they're not getting that help. Like, how do you tell that person, um, dude, you're broke and you need help without 
without driving a wedge in your relationship with them or even if you do i mean how do you how do you tell a person to like look at yourself and go get help or if you're getting help but you could do better like how do you tell a person check yourself out like look at yourself and figure yours how do you do that i don't know so i i don't know i think that when it comes to a when it comes to people not necessarily asking for help or not asking for help or going to seek help, it's usually because there's a a form of bias fed by guilt and shame or, you know, some sort of internal you know, um and then, you know, there's there's the opposite effect too i think the people i think sometimes it's harder for individuals that will not seek help or that won't say hey i just need someone to fucking talk to you or hey can you listen to me bitch for five minutes i don't need a solution i just need you to listen to me bitch and don't ask me questions you know like something like that i don't know but you have so you have life situations and life and death situations and i think sometimes the younger generation, so the one, you know, they understand mental health, but the problem is they have life situations that are, are they're trying to apply psychiatric health to, which is not life and death situations, you know. Also, offset to that, you know, therapy or counseling doesn't have to be a psychiatrist, you know, and same with therapy. Therapy doesn't have to be a counselor. It could be outside it could be sleeping it could be a girl day it could be shopping it could be whatever therapy it is that that you need as a person and that is a huge tangent that i just got on but it's a good tangent i don't think we give credit to those conversations that we can have with those people that we can lean on and depend upon i should be able to give you a call and say hey chelsea i need to talk or you call me and be like, yo, Tiffany, need to talk. And be able to listen to each other, support each other, not criticize, condemn, or just critique each other and tell each other what we need to do, but just listen. And I don't know about you, but I definitely feel better after those type conversations. Yeah. There was another, so most of, I think most, most of my career, especially after deploying, coming back, coming back from deployment, um, and then going on another deployment, then coming back and being, I came out of Afghanistan and like 60 days later, I was in drill science school. So like the high op tempo of the first few years of my career was like, perfect for me the high up tempo because everyone's running around doing this doing this and then i can go home fucking sleep get up do it again do it again go home go to sleep right so going on the trail grinding it out there um i had a choice with my husband or go do a short tour and i chose specifically to go to korea for one year to area one i was like send me to area one i want to pretend you know i needed to be like a deployment and go to work 
go to the gym, come home, repeat, and wash. So this, you know, 150 miles an hour for years on end, and um, the 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 addiction to the fast pace of work and overturned and tempo and every, you know, every year I'm doing something different. It was all building up to when I when I went to NATO. So when I was in NATO, everything slowed down. It's a very slow-paced organization. And once I stopped going 150 miles an hour and I ended up going five kilometers an hour, all I had was time. And time and an addictive personality is terrible, right? So that's when... I realized I was like, wow, I have a, I have a, I'm a fucking problem. You know, like I can't stop thinking about this or I can't get my brain to shut up. I'm having a real issue with the other thing. Uh, it's not affecting my work, but now it's affecting, you know, my off time when it wasn't. My brain was going into overdrive and now all of these sponge things were coming in the front. And I was staring at walls for hours on end for no reason, like a freaking weirdo. Um, and that's supposed to be funny because I know other people have done it. I can, I know five people off the top of my head that has just stared at walls when they're in their little, you know, yep. their own thoughts. But I ended up coming to like an ugly pinnacle of a crash because I was like, well, I don't know what's going on. Why am I thinking about this? This shit was like X amount of years ago. Why am I thinking about this? This was like, you know, however many years ago. I need more of this and I need more of this. I'm just going to take more of this and drink more of this combined. Um, and I ended up having like uh, I a breakdown, a cry breakdown, a hysterical cry breakdown. Um, lasted for like maybe 30 minutes you know it was but it was like ugly snot crying and I didn't know what was happening and after I did it after I like screamed and got it all out I started right back up where I left and I repeated the cycle and I kept looking for so after I left NATO I kept looking for fast pace I need 150 miles an hour I need I need to keep going I need to keep doing this fast paced thing I need work to be here I need it to be priority I need to that was going to be my thought process and then whenever I quit alcohol and medication then it just made it then then work was numero uno and everybody involved with work man that's some, like another ugly drug too like work no alcohol no, I mean, well, or yeah, really, yeah, saying work. Like when you're like, work's a terrible, it's a terrible coping mechanism. Yeah. And I think that lots of people, whenever, I don't say lots of people, it's those, it's the ones, you know, they don't, I firmly believed that, you know, I, I love the United States Army. I will never, ever, ever, ever. Ever. I love all the services, actually, even though we give each other a hard time. Every single one of them are important to this nation. Uh, but I firmly believe that Elsie Borgfield was a key factor in my job every single time. And whenever you go through a situation, you know, whenever, whenever I went into the hospital for inpatient and the mission kept going. You know, I was like, well, I'm not important. Absolutely not important. 
I mean, I am important, but the United States Army is a well-oiled machine and it is going to continue to go. But there's a lot of people that has the extreme ownership, which is not bad. Um, it's not bad in certain applications, but in an organization like that, in a big, big moving bus like that, you know, it's just uh, keep going. It's going to continue to keep going. That's why it's been around for as long as it has. Yeah. Um, man, so this is not about me. Banda, you just had me thinking, oh my gosh. Like, when that hit home, well, I think a couple times it hit home. But then I think for me, so my MST happened at the end of my career. And I went from being like a super instructor, instructor of the year, to like a dirt bag. Because my emotions were just like all over the place. And I... I mean, I, I really felt all alone and I felt by myself because I didn't have anybody to turn to because a lot of, like, when it, when an MST happens to somebody on active duty versus someone in the reserves, there were a lot of things, uh, there were things I was able to take advantage of, but then there were, were a lot of things that I couldn't take advantage of because it didn't happen on that duty weekend. And so mm -hmm. because it didn't happen on my duty weekend or I wasn't on Title 10 orders when it happened, in the army's eyes it didn't happen on the army dime therefore like sucks to be you kind of thing but my behavior drastically changed and um while i was doing my instructor stuff and it just i mean and i just felt so brushed aside that i'm like i really don't matter and kind of like what you're saying like yeah i matter yeah i count but at that time i just felt like no, you don't. You really don't. Not yeah. Because we can find somebody to replace you. It's no big deal. You want to retire? Go for it. Do your thing. Peace out. And yeah. Yeah. What? So, like, for you, how did you know it was time to leave the military? <laughs>